0: Welcome to Theology Thursday. I'm Nicole McBurney. Every weekday, we bring you the news of the day, the culture, and science from Christian worldview. Today, join me and Pastor Bob Enyar as he explores the source of our Christian worldview, the Bible. So Abram, he said, is not the whole land before you? Please, you go to the right, I'll go to the left, or vice versa, verse 10. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go toward Zoar. Now, Moses is inserting this little editorial comment here, saying he looked up and he saw this plain in Israel, what we call Israel today, and it was well watered everywhere. But at the time Moses was writing this, that same terrain was a barren desert. So Moses is going back in history a few centuries, and he's saying uh, land that was then a desert, he said, and it was well watered everywhere. So that shows knowledge of the area that he had. And also, if we're able to establish that in the midst of a barren desert, there were settlements, thriving settlements, then that's more evidence of the accuracy of the Bible. And sure enough, there were cities there that have since been destroyed and that little editorial comment was correct then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan and Lot journeyed east and they separated from each other so the Lot chose Lot chose for himself now when you choose by lots what's the idea of casting lots and choosing by lots you know, King Saul was chosen by Lot, as we'll see. We'll look at some of the verses. And King David, too, although it's less noticeable in the text, but he was chosen by Lot. And Matthias, the apostle to replace Judas, was chosen by Lot. And why did they do those things? Um, lots, casting lots, causes contentions to cease. I've been a fan of lots for quite a few years. Uh, lots keep the mighty apart. Let's let's look through the Bible, and we'll look at some of the verses where it talks about casting lots, just so we can get an idea of the material, and then we'll think through it a bit. Starts in a, well, not uh, in Leviticus chapter 16. That chapter is all about the Day of Atonement. And it's interesting that God had just killed the sons of Aaron because they offered this vile sacrifice, profane fire before the Lord. God killed these two priests, Aaron's sons. And then he said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come into the holy place inside the veil at just any old time. He said, tell Aaron not to come in just any old time. Tell him, I only want him to come at certain times in certain ways. And perhaps that's God protecting his privacy because God said, because I will be in there and I will be in the cloud above the mercy seat. And God says that Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering. And he's talking about, in the whole context, specifically on the Day of Atonement, once a year. He'll come with a sin offering and a a ram as a burnt offering. And he shall put on his holy clothing, holy garments. He shall wash his body. And then he shall take from the congregation of Israel two kids of the goats. Two goats as a sin offering and one ram as a burnt offering. And Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering and make atonement for himself and his household. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord. And Aaron shall cast lots. He shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. In other words, the Lord's lot, the one that represented God, whichever goat got that lot, then kill that goat. And that represented that Jesus Christ, the son of God, would one day die as the sin offering for the sins of the world. But on the goat on which the lot fell to be a scapegoat, that goat shall be presented alive before the Lord. And he's released into the wilderness. Now, why would God do that two goats business? Well, that's because it was supposed to symbolize Christ's death and his resurrection, his dying and coming back to life. And goats can't do that normally. And so God used two goats and he chose lots and the lot would be that God would provide the way. God would be the one. Uh, Joshua chapter 18, verse 1 we find out that Joshua, toward the end of his life, he, he, was, uh, he was chastising the tribes of Israel. He said, How long before you guys are going to go in and possess the land? We have so many, seven tribes, who don't know where they're going to live. He said, so We know that the tribe of Judah is going to live down south. The tribe of Joseph is going to live up north. And there's two and a half tribes that are going to live on the other side of the Jordan. East of the Jordan, but how about the rest of you guys? And they were afraid, partly because of the Gentiles that were in the land, their enemies. And so Joshua said, this is what I want you to do. Take three men from each tribe and go and survey the land. Survey the land and divide the land into seven parts. And then come back and I will cast lots. It says in Joshua 18.6, You shall survey the land in seven parts and bring the survey here to me that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord our God. And the men passed through the land and wrote the survey in a book in seven parts by cities. And they came to Joshua. He cast lots and he divided the land. Imagine the fights that that one technique solved. The fights that this approach averted. Uh, The bickering could be intense, but what they did was say, "Okay, uh, you guys all go out together and divide the land into seven chunks. Wherever you put the the boundaries, that's okay. Just agree on dividing it into seven pieces, and then I'll decide, just by asking the Lord, just to do this randomly. In each of your, your tribes, Gad, you'll get that that area." And Naphtali, you'll get that area. When I was young, I think before high school, uh, we had to, we. My dad worked us like slaves for many years, and we had to cut the grass. It seems like even if it hadn't grown, we had to cut the grass. And we had a big yard, back, front, and side. And my brother David was too young to cut with a power mower, and my my brother Brian and I would always have to cut. And so we would debate on who was going to do how much. So I came up with a system, I said, here's what we'll do. We'll divide, I'll divide, I'll draw a dividing line. I'll say, okay, the front goes to here and the back starts here, and then you pick back or front. So I draw the line, you pick. And he said, no. I said, why not? He said, it'll be unfair. So I said, well, if it's unfair, then, then uh, pick the side that's easier. He said, no. I said, okay, you draw the line. He was very young. He was probably in sixth grade or fifth grade or something. You draw the line and then I'll pick which side I want. And he said, no. <laughs> like, what's going on here? He said, no, I'll draw the line and I pick, <laughs> which is pretty funny. Um, so, uh, it is a way if you have at least the semi reasonable partner, (laughs) it is a way of accomplishing uh, this kind of thing where you can have decisions that have to be made that could generate a tremendous amount of frustration and anger could be made without anger or without wasting weeks or months or years. Could you imagine if it was today in the U.S. Congress and they had to divvy up some land in seven portions and assign it to seven different ethnic groups? It could take 40 years. Take them 30 years to put in four miles of short rail. Uh, I think they put a cross-country railroad in in two years. (laughs) Back a half a century ago. So... Let's see, in First Chronicles 31, they wanted to, uh, they had the priesthood all from uh, the Levites, the tribe of Levi, and they wanted to divide it up so that they would each serve before the Lord at the temple uh, one week each. And they divided themselves up into 24 divisions based on families, and they cast lots to see which division would serve in the first week of the year, which the second, which the third. And that's 1 uh, Chronicles chapter 24, oh. second. Is it second? Yeah. I never gave the 1 uh, Chronicles chapter 24, sorry. And the verse 31 is uh, one of the verses that mention they cast lots. And uh, in in the book of Luke, we see that John the Baptist, his dad, Zechariah, he served, he was in the order of Abijah, which was the eighth division. And so we sort of can figure out when John the Baptist's dad was serving at the temple. If we could put a few other historical details in place, and that's how people have tried to estimate, if we know when John the Baptist was conceived in what month, and probably what week. Then we know six months later, Jesus was conceived, because the text tells us that. And then nine months after that, he would have been born. And it's pretty neat to put all that together. And many Christians have come up with that Christ was born on the Feast of Tabernacles, which we've talked about briefly. And which would explain why John uses that strange phrase. He says, in Christ... Tabernacled among us. Instead of saying that he dwelt among us, it says he tabernacled among us in the Greek in John chapter 1. All right, in Nehemiah, they're building a wall in chapter 10, verse 34. It says, We cast lots among the priests, the Levites, and the people for bringing the wood offering into the house of our God because they needed wood to burn sacrifices on the altar, and it was a big job. And the country had been desolated. So they cast lots and figured out who would bring the wood for the offering throughout the year. In Nehemiah 11.1, the leaders of the people dwelt at Jerusalem, but the rest of the people, they had to repopulate the city of Jerusalem. There were folks living out in the the, the, uh, hinterlands. And Jerusalem had been a city that had been destroyed, so they wanted to repopulate it. So they cast lots, and one out of ten... People who lived out in the suburbs and beyond would come in and move into the city. And could you imagine trying to make that decision through some city council and decide who would? And imagine all the bribes and, and the bickering and how many months and years it could take. So, um, Ezra and Nehemiah, those books and elsewhere, they also make use of the strange and mysterious. Urim and Thummim. These are priestly devices that Aaron wore over his heart originally in the breastplate to make uh, decisions to inquire of the Lord, much like they would use lots. So that's another area. We we'll, won't look into that tonight, but uh, that happens in these two close books. Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs, of course, has all these neat little bits of wisdom these nuggets of truth. Like, for example, if you give gifts, you can speak before great men. And verse 17 of Proverbs 18, the first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. Then you say, ah, the rest of the story. Well, the next verse, 18, 18, 18 casting lots causes contentions to cease and keeps the mighty apart. Casting lots causes contentions to cease and keeps the mighty apart. There are a handful of Christian pro-life parties in the country, political parties, and they all pretty much agree on how evil the government is and they want so desperately to improve things and it's so hard for them to build up any steam and get a critical mass where they could win elections and it may never happen, can't read the future, but I know that the head of one of these efforts, and I don't want to give the names of either of these parties, but the head of one of the parties approached the head of another party and said, why don't we combine our efforts? Why don't we join up? And the other partner said, great, (laughs) you guys just join us. That's wonderful. And he said, no, 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 let's, you know, maybe you guys join us. And he said, no, 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 we have our infrastructure and, you know, we have our guy at the top that we'd like to be president. And the other guy said, well, we do too. And the one guy said, all right, let's do this. Let's cast lots. Let's cast lots. And whoever wins, that party and their candidate, the other one will support. And I really admired that. That was about five years ago. I thought that was so neat. But the other Christian leader said, no, no, I'm not going to do that. And uh, I thought it was just brilliant. So it would have been fun to see uh, that that man take the courage to go ahead and do that. Casting lots causes contentions to cease and keeps the mighty apart. In Jonah, the book of Jonah, remember that they were out at sea and there was a storm, and they were afraid they were going to die, and they cast lots to find out who's the guilty guy. Boy, this storm, where did it come from? It came out of nowhere. This must be God judging us. God must be mad at someone. And sure enough, it's uncanny, you know. but they figured out it was Jonah. And when, they, when God selected Saul as king, now casting lots... It could either be totally random, God uninvolved, or if God wanted to specifically make a decision, God could cause the lots to perform and make a certain selection. And that was the case with uh, Sam, in 1 Samuel chapter 10. Now, God knew he wanted to pick Saul. God had picked Saul. And God had told Samuel, it's going to be Saul. But then Samuel had to tell the nation it's going to be Saul. So the way he did it, he picked, he he let, uh, he used lots, and he selected by lots. And first, he got the twelve tribes and selected, and he got one tribe of Benjamin, and then he got the families within that tribe, and then the household, and then the son. So in First Samuel chapter ten, verse nineteen, but you have today rejected your God, who Himself saved you from all your adversities. And you have said to him, No, set a king over us. Now therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. And when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. And when he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family of Matri was chosen. And Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen. So you see that they chose... Saul, Samuel used lots to choose which tribe, which clan, which family, which, which individual man would be king. Uh, the same thing happened six chapters later, uh, or a similar thing, when God gave up on Saul and chose David. The Lord said to Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, "'How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from being over Israel?' Fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Now, Jesse was the father of David. And so God said to Samuel, go to Bethlehem. Basically, I'm sending you to Jesse. For I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he'll kill me. And God did not say, oh, I'll supernaturally protect you. God said, take Take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I'll show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I named to you. Samuel didn't know who it would be. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab, and that was Jesse's firstborn son. He looked at Eliab and he said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. In other words, he's saying to God, Lord, this has got to be him. He's the firstborn. He's big, he's strong. Boy, Lord, you picked a great one. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have refused him for the Lord does not see as a man sees for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart and Ab- Abram may have looked at the land and saw, look how lush that land is over there. Look how well watered it is. Look at, there's even a lot more, uh, economic activity to enrich me and my household So if he would have just looked with his eyes, he very well may have chosen the same land that Lot chose. But he didn't. And as we'll see, he was so much better off. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. So he's probably using Lot's just like he did to choose Saul only in a slightly different method. Maybe a, a, a lot that says yes or no. And each one comes, and he casts lots, and no, no. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And then, of course, you know the story that there was one, his youngest son, and he said, Send and bring him. And they brought him in and he was ruddy, with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. The last example I'd like to look at is in the New Testament in the book of Acts, chapter 1. Because Judas had died. Judas killed himself. And the 12 apostles, they felt... We need another guy to replace him. Why would they feel that? Why would they think that? Why not just go out with 11? Well, because Jesus had promised them that they would rule over the 12 tribes of Israel. And he had said that they would sit on 12 thrones governing the 12 tribes. The number 12 is pretty important for Israel. And Jesus told, uh, chose 12 apostles for a very good reason. So Acts one eighteen, talking about Judas, it says that, he purchased a field, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. Sorry, I know there's ladies and kids in the room. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that field is called in their own language, Akeldama, which is field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate, and let no one live it, live in it, and let another take his office. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us, Peter speaking, he says, therefore, of the guys who have been with us all the time that the Lord went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed to they looked at the guys that had been following him and they said, you know, there's. There's two guys who've been here from the first day till now. Two. They proposed two. Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen, that you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas, by transgression, fell, that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots... And the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Proverbs sixteen thirty three says, "The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord." The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. And I think that's a a Hebraism, uh, a Hebrew th- in Hebrew thought. And in our thought, too, I think, if we're Christians, every drop of water is from God because he created the universe. But that doesn't mean that God supernaturally rained down on your farm, on your dry farm, or that God intervened to flood your home in the canyon. Right? But we could say the rain is from God. And things are from God, but that doesn't mean he intervened supernaturally to provide those things at that time. And the lots, if, if you divide by lots in the seven tribes, they split up the land and they say, Lord, we're going to cast lots. And they do. And however they end up going, uh, God could intervene or he could not. But either way, they say, we will accept the answer as from the Lord. And I think that is uh, the way the lots in the Bible normally worked. Whether God intervened supernaturally or not, there were situations where let's not be egotistical and think that we are so wise that we can choose our leaders. Let's show humility and let God choose for us. But since we can't call God down at our discretion, or on our, our timeline and we can't ask him right there we can cast lots and say lord please lead us now let's talk practically what if we did this in america what if we didn't have elections and democracy what if we cast lots for the leader of the nation just think what would happen we have 50 lots for 50 states we we cast the lots and the state of colorado comes up out of all 50 states. And then we have 60 counties. So we have 60 lots, and Jefferson County comes up. Then we have 10 cities in Jefferson County, cast lots, 10 lots, and Arvada comes up. And we have a dozen neighborhoods in Arvada, and we cast lots, and Rainbow Ridge comes up. There's six blocks in Rainbow Ridge. We cast six lots, and one block comes up. And men in that household, we cast... and. There's ten houses on that block, one house. And we cast a lot, and one man is now the leader of the country. And that guy, he happens to be an engineer who drives the train for Coors Brewing Company in Golden, Colorado. He drives in the supplies the coal, the oats, the rice, and he, and he, drive, and he drives out the beer. And that's what he does for a living. What do you think are the chances that that guy? would be a better leader than Bill Clinton. (laughs) I see from the room, there's 100% agreement that that guy, whoever he is, would be better. I've asked people in restaurants around the country uh, if this busboy was the leader of the country. And we don't know the busboy. I point to him, even with someone who I'm debating with. So if that busboy was the leader, would he be better or worse than Bill Clinton? And whoever I'm talking to looks at the busboy and says, better. (laughs) Casting lots is far better than majority rule. Far better. And our shadowgov.com on the internet where we want to train men how to be godly governing officials and authorities. uh, That is the method that shadowgov.com uses to, or at least the government that we're mimicking on that internet site, that's the method that that government would use to select its leader. It's pretty exciting, it's pretty fun. Hey, this is Nicole McBurney again, wrapping up today's show. And I want to remind you that the only thing keeping us on the air is you. So if you like what you're hearing and don't want us dropping off the airways, you can go to kgov.com slash sponsor. That's kgov.com slash sponsor to sponsor a show. Or check out our store and pick up some resources, such as monthly Bible studies, our classic televised broadcasts, or Pastor Bob Enyart's life work, The Plot, which helps give you a clear understanding of the overview of the Bible. We sincerely appreciate all of your support, and don't forget to tune in tomorrow for Real Science Radio. God bless.